so much that uh, we get to to be in your presence today. So quickly we forget that uh, your presence is enough. Uh, we sort of think that that we've got to bring our achievements or our accomplishments or our value. We need to bring that to you and lay that at your feet and show you that we're worthy or that we're good enough. And Father, we just forget that you are enough. And because you are enough, you make us enough. So Father, today as we uh, break open your word together, would you uh, give us a fresh word for our lives today? Uh, may we see your face. May we hear your voice. May we feel content. May our lives be filled um, knowing that you are enough. So Father, we just pray for a moment of reset as we start our week that you would just walk with us, that you would guide us, uh, that you would help us to just live more closely uh, in, in your presence and be the people that you've called us to be. We just thank you for the time that we have this morning. We pray that you would bless it, and we ask this all through Jesus and the church together said, amen. Go ahead and take a seat this morning. Oh, my ears are a little blocked today. Um, we're starting kind of a new sermon series this week, and last week, I, uh, some of you may, who were here or maybe heard about it, I'm not going to do anything as near as sensational or illicit as I did last week by, you know, tearing up some things and whatnot. If you don't know what that's about, then better that you weren't here. Um, so if you came back, I'm glad that you're glad that you're here. But we're gonna. Uh, we talked last week about being people of the word, and and the reality is, uh, I don't know about you, but it's true for me. Sometimes I, I sort of forget to read the Bible for me. I, I mean, I spend time reading and studying. Okay, what am I gonna say? But being a person of the word is not always a super easy thing to do. And one of the things as churches, we need to become great people of the word. Now, we also need to recognize that the Bible that we have today was not written that way. That, in fact, pretty much most of the New Testament that was written was not written to us, was, not, was written for us, and it is useful for us. But we are effectively reading someone else's mail when we read the New Testament. Uh, a lot of these books and a lot of these writings... It's not like when they were sitting down writing these things, they were thinking, hey, maybe this will make it into a book one day and be published for all people to hear. A lot of them are just letters or writings or encouragements or notes that the church at that time was supposed to hear from some of these people. And so when we read uh, books like Thessalonians, which we're going to go through sort of verse by verse, I know that sounds kind of cumbersome, but I promise you it goes quite, quite quickly, and it helps us just kind of see uh, what, what was going on at that time and how that has value for us as well. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your phone or however you like to, uh, like to read, uh, read Scripture or the easiest way for you, we're going to be in First Thessalonians. It's kind of right at the end of the New Testament. So, uh, you know, you have all the Gospels, which we all know, and then there's, you know, Ephesians and Corinthians and Colossians. And if you keep going, it's after the book of Colossians. So uh, if, you're, if you're there, if you've gone to Revelation, you've gone too far. Uh, so go back a few books, it'll be there. But we're going to kind of just read this, and I'm going to start by just reading the first verse, and then we're going to talk about some of this and set up wh what this book means and how this book works, and then we'll go from there. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's valuable for us to understand who is writing this book. And we know, according to verse 1, it says that there are these three people, Paul, 
Silas and Timothy who authored this book. Now, we don't exactly know who wrote what part, if they wrote it together, if one wrote it and the other two were readers or editors. And it seems, I don't know if it means Paul was the first one because he's listed first. What it probably means is he's either the oldest or he's the most prominent one. He has the most credentials, so we put his name first. And Silas and Timothy, we kind of learn about them today, but it seems like these three have authored this book together. So part of the questions that we should ask, just simply when we start, is who are these people? So who is Paul? If you read Acts chapter 9, it'll talk about who Paul is. Uh, Paul used to be Saul. He used to be a Jewish leader. He was a, a Pharisee. He had the top pedigree. And he was one who actually persecuted the early church, those early Christ followers, until he has this experience on the road to Damascus, as Acts chapter 9 says. And part of what we learn as we read that chapter is that the, 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 the priest that goes to him, Ananias, or the kind of the prophet that goes to him and says, listen, you are going to be the gospel carrier to the Gentiles. And we know that Paul, as we look through uh, the Bible, he writes to Jews and Gentiles, and he is a very prominent person in how the church moves forward. He writes, according to you know church history, he writes 13 of the 27 books, or at least he co-authors 13 of 27 books that we have in the New Testament. So he writes a huge chunk of it. So when his name is at the front of one of these books, we pay special attention because he seems to have a lot to say, and he says it very well. Now there's two other characters, Silas. Who is Silas? Well, if you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, you're going to meet a guy named Silas. And we see him for the first time in Acts chapter 15. So we're going to be in Acts 15, 16, 17, just to set some backdrop for 1 Thessalonians. But Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, it says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, so churches are converging, Jew and Gentile, and obviously some of the traditions and covenants are different, and these things are, are, are kind of um, uh, colliding in the church. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So this is one of the first problems we see in the early church that they're having to navigate. Remember, the early church that was started on the day of Pentecost, everybody was a Jew. It was in Jerusalem. It was in a Jewish city. They were all Jewish converts. But as, a, as the, this thing called you know, the church emerges, we have Jews and Gentiles, and that's creating some problems. If you follow along in Acts 15, go to verse, uh, verse 5. It says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, so the Jews, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And obviously this, this conversation goes on and goes on. And in verse 22, this is where we meet Silas. It says, then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas. And the reason why they say that now is because, remember, there was a Judas not so many stories ago. wasn't a good Judas. Don't you just hate it when one person, you know, ruins the name for everybody else? You know, uh, don't see a lot of kids named Judas these days, um, although some of them should be. Let's be honest. Um, but they chose Judas, but we're going to call him Barsabbas, so he's not that other loser from the Gospels, and Silas. 
men who were le- men who were leaders among the believers. So these guys are already believers. They're already you know they're already sharing um, in the story of the church. And Silas is one of them. If you read the book of Acts, Paul and Silas end up traveling together, and he's imprisoned with Paul, and the story kind of goes from there. But who's Timothy? Well, we know Timothy from later books. There's some books in the in the New Testament named after him. But in Timothy, we meet in uh, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. It says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. His mother was Jewish and a believer, and his father was a Greek. So he's from kind of a blended family that we know. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along in the journey, so he circumcised him because of all the Jews that lived in that area, for all of them knew that his father was a Greek. So even though the argument in the chapter before is about the the Gentiles don't have to do this, poor Timothy, he says, I want to go to ministry, and Paul says, hey, the first answer to your call in ministry is not going to be a pleasant experience, um, and kind of shares this with him, but he does that so that there's really no barrier between, between him and the people that he is going to. And so we learn about Paul and Silas and Timothy. But let's read uh, 1 Thessalonians. We're back there now. Verse 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church in Thessalonica. Now what do we know about Thessalonica? What do we know about this, this church or this place? Uh, the reality is we know that it's in modern-day Greece and that it happens to be a port city, meaning that ships and sailors from all over the world or all over the known world at that time would come and be there. And, and part of what we know about cities that were by ports, cities like Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica, these churches, they're not the only place, they're not generally religious places. If you go to big cities, in, even in the state of Texas, most of the big cities are not religious in, in the cities. Isn't it interesting how that works? Smaller, more rural communities, they tend to have greater faith than big cities. And port cities were the worst. They were polytheistic, which is just a fancy word to say they had temples to all different kinds of gods. There were many different religions in these port cities. And people would would, would come off the ships, and usually there was a lot of bad behavior in port cities. There was a lot of prostitution. And obviously, if guys have been on ships for months at a time, you understand why that was the case. They also had, had bars and taverns and saloons and strip clubs and all these kinds of things. That, that we would see in these cities. They weren't great places for religion to break forth. They weren't religious places. In fact, they had re- if whatever you want, if you wanted to go to this religion or that religion, or do the, you could do whatever you wanted in those places. And so to be a church in a place with a lot of opposition was definitely very challenging. But Acts chapter 17 tells us a little bit about this city, and hopefully uh, you, we can learn a little bit about what this book is all about. It says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and for three Sabbath days, so for three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus that I am proclaiming to you is your Messiah, is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks 
and a few prominent women. Now, the reason why they tell us that is because this is not a Jewish city that values only Judaism. This is a city that has a lot of different churches, a lot of different kinds of religions. And not all of those religions are male-dominant Jewish religions. And so the Bible tells us that Thessalonica is kind of a melting pot. Yes, there are Jewish people because there is a synagogue there, but there's also these, these Greeks and also prominent women, which is not really something that we celebrate in Judaism. And so we already know the church is going to face some challenges uh, simply because of, of some of these, these things. And then we're back in 1 Thessalonians 1. I'm almost done with the history. It's not going to be that long. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, grace and peace to you. Now, if you've been in my Tuesday morning class, you already know what this means. Grace is a traditional Roman greeting. That's how they would greet each other. The same way that you would say hi, or our young people say sup, or whatever they say these days. Um, you would, uh, you, you know you say that. Never do that again? Okay. Um, it could have been worse, I promise. But what they would do is they would walk to each other, and they would put up their hands, they would say grace. Grace. That's how they would say hi to each other, okay? And then Hebrew, or Jewish people, they have the word shalom, which we all know. It means peace. And they would say peace to each other. That's how they would greet each other. And so, so the writers, the authors of this book, really know very well what they're doing. Because it all depends which side you come from. If you are Gentile, you would read this grace and peace to you. If you were Jewish, you'd read grace and peace to you. It's just a great way to be inclusive. And so one of the tells also is that we know that this book is intended for both Jews and Gentiles to read. Okay, last piece of trivia, and then we'll really get to it, I promise. When was this written? Probably written 20 to 30 years after uh, Pentecost. It's important to know this because it's also important to know who the leaders were. This was the time of Caligula. If you've never read about Caligula, you totally want to go and read about him. He is one of the worst leaders ever. He does terrible things. It's very entertaining, uh, but it's really sad for people who are Christians because they were facing a lot of persecution. He's the guy that would impale people and dip them in tar and light them as torches on his front, front yard to, to light the gardens at night. He's not a good guy. In fact, that's why when we get later into the book of Thessalonians, there's some conversation of who is the Antichrist because we think it's this guy, and they're not wrong in why they think that, and, and the writers are going to share that story with them. Okay, now we really are in First Thessalonians one beginning in verse two so that's all kind of the, the history here but it says this so paul silas and timothy say this we always thank god for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers that's a that's a nice thing to say to people hey every time we gather and we're having a meal you know we hold hands or whatever we do and we say you know god thank you for the thessalonians thank you thank you for them i hope we, we, we miss them we hope we can see them soon we, we pray your richest blessing on that church. It's always nice to know that you're being prayed for. He says, we remember before our God and Father, and then he says three things, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, you guys are working hard. You guys are laboring. You guys are, are, are really uh, sharing this in, inspired endurance, and we just commend you for doing that. Verse 4, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, 
that he has chosen you. Now, if you grew up in conservative churches as a kid, which we all did, uh, the word chosen often we think mean or refers to, you know, oh, God chose everybody and it's kind of, you know, this is how it works. The word chosen doesn't always mean that. In fact, this is kind of the best way I could describe this is kind of being in a schoolyard at break time. Did you guys ever do this? Hey, let's play football or soccer or softball. And then you'd make teams, pick two captains. Okay, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. And what they're saying is you guys are doing good that if God was choosing a team, he would say, you're on my team. You're going to be on my, the way that you're, you're doing things, the way that you're living out your expression of faith, I want you on my team is what he is saying. Verse 5, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Meaning, talk is not cheap when you are a faithful person in Thessalonica. Your faith means something when you are there, and this seems to be a known fact. You know how we live among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Listen, the church in in Thessalonica is facing some severe persecution. And some of the language that's going to be used in later chapters is not going to necessarily tell them that that's unfair or that they shouldn't expect that. But he's saying, listen, you guys choose to have faith at a time when you are being heavily persecuted. And that means something. It means something when our faith is not just about about words. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. No, wait, hold on, go back. Verse 7. And you... And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. The the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Archaea. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Isn't this what we want? When somebody gets up at your funeral one day, hopefully many years from now, you want them to say, yeah, I, I guess they were a good person. I don't really know much about them. I mean, I mean, I guess they were, they were good. Or would you want them to say, hey, the way that they lived their lives changed mine. They did something. They poured their life into mine, and it affected my life and changed my life, and I made different decisions because of them. That's what, that's what they're really saying to this church. They're saying what you're doing matters, and people's lives are being changed because of what you're doing. Don't we all want people to say that about us, that we are a model for their lives? Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out not only from you, but also in Macedonia and Archaea. It didn't just happen where they were. It happened in these surrounding areas. Verse 9 says, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us, that you turned to God from idols to serve the living And true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raises from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, I could probably summarize this, and you can go back and read this, and it'll be super easy, but I'm going to say it in maybe a, a slightly different way. This is a really good first chapter of a book. And if you were in church, and they were hearing the first book of Journey, chapter one. If that's what, what, what these authors said to us, basically, 
what Paul is saying to this church is, your church rocks. You guys are awesome. You guys are doing amazing things. People know about your church, not because it's all about you, but because of the way that you're living out the story of God. There's something powerful about that. I don't know if this is true for you. I know it's true for me. I have not heard anybody say, you know, the last two years have been amazing years. Have you heard that much? You know, it's been my best two years that I've had in the last two years. And I'm sure that there are good things and good moments in the last couple of years. Things that we've learned about ourselves. Things that we've stepped towards. But let's be honest, it hasn't been an awesome couple of years, has it? We're all just gasping for air and just wanting to get through this and get on to the next thing. Don't you feel that way? Don't you feel that, that people are that way? I find people are far more annoyed than they used to be. People are angrier than they used to be. People are short-fused. I think we all are. But maybe in the midst of this, we can borrow language from this church. And I want you to hear me say to you, basically what I want to say to you today is you guys rock. Journey Church, this is a good church to be a part of. I'm not saying we're perfect. We make so many mistakes. We do so many things that we shouldn't do. We struggle with things. Sometimes we get mad at you. Sometimes you get mad at us. That's okay. Because we want to be a place where Jesus is not just a a sign on our stage, but that it's real. When people come to our church, we want people to leave and go, those people are crazy, but they love Jesus. I'm okay with that. You guys have done good. It's been a long couple years. Are there things we wish we had done differently? Absolutely. But we're just trying to be a good church. I hope that people, when you, when you roll up in your car, that you don't look at the church and go, before you walk in, that maybe when we worship together, that it's a positive moment, it's a great way to start your week, it's a way to just remind us, hey, we're, we're broken and imperfect, but we're on the same side. You guys are an inspiration to us, so keep doing what you're doing. You guys encouraged our pastors this last week and said, hey, what you do matters, and sometimes we don't know that. I know you think we should. But it's nice when somebody says, hey, being here makes a difference in my life. What you do matters. It helps me. It blesses me. That's positive. That's wonderful. And you guys showing up and being here and going to groups and serving and doing, it matters to us. You're inspiring us. And so maybe there's just a way to say, just keep being an awesome church. You can see the town coming towards us, can't you? God wants to use us. He's going to use us, and, and he's got some plans that are going to be amazing. And we don't know what they all are yet, and that's okay. Because maybe you're here today because somebody encouraged you, or maybe you came today just to hear a word, and I want you to hear a word of affirmation. You guys are doing good. Keep doing good. So I don't really know how to close the sermon. I guess we'll just, you know, stand up and sing and dance around or do whatever else we want to do. Uh, I'm not quite sure what you have planned, Brad. Two steps for Jesus. I like it. But I just want you to hear those words today. You guys are doing good. Just stick with it.
God will make it right. So God, today we just thank you that we can be a part of a church, that we can be here, that we can serve together, that we can love each other, that we can have fun. God, we thank you for, (laughs) we thank you that you were a God that doesn't need perfect people to do your work. In fact, you prefer imperfect people. Thank you that you, you use the broken, that if we're just willing, that you'll use us. And so, Father, thank you that, that we get to just come into this place and just maybe hear a positive word. I know a lot of us grew up in churches where every Sunday we felt like we wanted to crawl under the chairs because we felt guilty or upset or convicted. But God, today we just pray for a moment of affirmation. We just pray that you would pat us on the back, not, not because we've accomplished anything, but because you just want to remind us that you're, that you're there and that you will use us if we're willing. We just thank you that that you continue to call people to our church. Not because we're awesome or great, but because you are. And because we try our best just to just to honor you. So Father, today as we as we stand, as we sing in a minute, as we talk about what a beautiful name you have, as we are reminded that we we are in the shelter of your presence. God, we just pray that you would affirm our lives, affirm our faith. Let us know that you are are near. May we hear, hear these ancient words just echo in our lives. Please fill us. Please use us for your name's sake. And we pray this all through Jesus. And the church together says.